Today's TripCast is presented by AT&T. Distracted driving is never okay. Take the pledge at itcanwait.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys I'm Evan McMullen, and I'm running for President of the United States. I'm looking forward to being in Austin in a couple of weeks for this year's Texas Tribune Festival, where I'll talk about my campaign and the future of the country. Hope to see you there. In the meantime, enjoy this week's TribCast. Here's your host, Patrick Svitek. Thank you. This is Patrick Svitek here at the TribCast for the 14th of September. I'm filling in for Emily Ramshaw, and I'm joined by Managing Editor Ian Mitra. I thought we were promised mimosas here. With <laughs> <laughs> the cross. Yes. Oh, that's, that's the, one of the downsides of Facebook Live. They now see that we're not holding up these promises. Oh, no. Gotcha, gotcha. Good call. I'm also joined by uh, reporter Alexa Uda. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> and reporter Edgar Walters. Hi. Where was where was Evan McMullen when he was recording that? It sounded a little echoey. And like a bunker. You know, I don't yeah. know about that. <laughs> don't ask. Um, we'll just move on from that. <laughs> uh, before we begin, just want to remind our Facebook audience that you can weigh in with questions at any time, and we'll try our best to answer them. We have some very serious uh, news to get to today, but I think the first thing we wanted to discuss was Rick Perry's debut on Dancing with the Stars. Um, How could we not? Yeah. Exactly. Let's keep it brief, but what did you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> I could see this thing up I, thing. <laughs> I seem to be in kind of the mind. I thought he he did better than I thought he was he was mm. going to do. I thought he, you know, I, I mean, I think he wins for enthusiasm. Let's, Absolutely. let's, you know, I don't think anyone came close to that. Um, I still don't know what a cha-cha is, so um, <laughs> maybe I was hoping to get some help on that. But yeah. I thought he did pretty well. I, I thought it was kind of, I kind of like the state fair theme and the corn dog. It was kind of fun. Um, very much playing toward the Texans, yes. wanting those votes. Right. But, uh, I mean... Yeah, sure. He's got work to do, but he's probably working. You work know, to do. He's, he's not. He's not a. Uh, I mean, he's not. He doesn't have the advantages that a Lori Hernandez does. I mean, come Very on. It's, not, it's just hard to. It's sure. hard to compare. Yeah. I, Alexa, what was your take? Um, he was a little rigid. <laughs> Rigid. Okay, that sounds like an official. That's there a very a formal dance There was a lot of like term. bouncing and counting, <laughs> and, um, but I I enjoyed it. I want him to stay on as long as possible. Okay. I will not vote for him because I don't think that makes sense for me to do, but I really want him to stay on, so I will mm-hmm. vouch for him, and then we can see him do a cha-cha, or a rumba, or yeah. a salsa. It's going to be great. I want to keep opening up the TripCast with this topic, yeah. so yes. I want him to stay on for Every as long week. as possible. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar, what did you think? You had some some health concerns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happily agnostic to most of this, but the people in that history have a long, or that show have a long history of... Um, That's very true. Yeah. Like, fractures, yeah. etc. leg it's injuries. It's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see. I... Wish him the best. <laughs> and, and Perry does have, you know, he's had a history of back problems. And he's exactly. had surgery. So. Was he wearing boots? I don't think I noticed. Ooh, that's a, that's a good catch. Or not non-catch, no. but a good point. Yeah. Didn't actually catch it. Um, <laughs> well, we'll look forward to yeah, him next Yeah, exactly. Week. So one of our first non-Rick Perry Dancing with the Stars <laughs> topic is a topic we've talked about a lot uh, for over the past few months. It's this wild presidential race and all the ways in which it's uh, intersected with Texas. Uh, just in the past week, we've seen the Clinton campaign open offices here in Texas, or start to open offices here in Texas in conjunction with the DNC. Um, We've seen another poll just yesterday with the race within single digits. 
Um, it was a poll that showed a Trump ahead by only six points, just like that PPP poll. And Donald Trump is returning to Texas uh, on Saturday, not just to fundraise, but to also hold a public event, which I believe will be his fourth or fifth public event uh, since he became the presumptive nominee. Uh, somewhat unusual for a uh, Republican nominee, but at, at this point, it's, we expect him to just come back to Texas. Um, so again, we talk about this every week, but at this juncture, we have less than uh, two months to go. Do you feel that this race within Texas is on a trajectory to, be, to at least continue to be more competitive and draw more attention from the campaigns and their allies than in uh, recent history? I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of this for, from the Clinton side and from the National Democrat side is they just want to be in position in case something I mean, I don't know what else can happen in the last couple of months that hasn't already happened, but just in case there's something that happens that really they want to just make sure they're in position to really, you know, close this gap. It's just hard for me to really see it, you know, any mm-hmm. any shift, actual shift in Texas when yeah. it comes to Election Day. I think they're, you know, you know, you have this base of Democrats in Texas. You're going to get, you know, in the mid-30s no matter what. Mm-hmm. And in the Republican side, you're, you know, there's a, there's a starting base from the mid-40s to high-40s. And so there could be some, you know, there's... There's a gap there, but there's a potential for a shift. But I just, it's still hard for me to see anything changing. I mean, I think sure. Trump needs to come down here for the money, and he's, you know, he's just, you know, he just loves to hold the events down yeah. here too. He just <laughs> he's already down, he why not? Like so many other aspects. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, re- it's really hard for me to see that shifting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that that anything will actually come from this. I mean, you open a field office, and what does that actually mean? It gets reporters excited. Of, it gets come reporters. on. <laughs> Patrick gets to go to Houston. Um, I don't know. I just I don't I don't know how it translates into increased turnout for Democrats. Though I guess it could be proven wrong, but mm-hmm. I mean I feel like the idea of Texas being a battleground state is is pretty far off and I don't know if a field office here is, is going to do anything to change that. Sure, of course. I mean, I, I guess my question is so much, is the state going to flip or whatever, but are we going to continue to see all the way through Election Day that the race be relatively tight? And if Trump does only win here by the mid to high single digits, as polls would suggest, what, what does that mean kind of going forward for energy and enthusiasm here in the state? The Clinton campaign has done a good job of getting my attention frankly sure. i mean like i yeah. can't think of any other year which i would even really be tempted to pay all that much attention to a democrat campaign in, sure in texas and the fact that they are opening a field office i mean they've done a good job sort of capitalizing yeah. on like they've made their case i think that like mm-hmm. um that they're deserving of you know that, that, that Texas is a place to be watched. Absolutely. And Patrick, yeah. don't you think that, you know, as we get closer, you know, you know, to the home stretch of this campaign, you know, both campaigns are going to really start to tighten their resources and really focus on certain sure. states. Yeah. I mean, right now it's good yeah, for Yeah, the optics. overall race is tightening, yeah. so we, we may be in a trajectory right, right now where they – by the end of this race, they won't have the resources, the, the extra time or energy to look at Texas. Right. And a good point you made also in, in one of your stories was just down ballot as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it really kind of helps with a lot of races that people aren't paying attention to. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, at a minimum, they get the headline out of it here in Texas. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think for the, Re- I mean, on the flip side, though, the Republicans are also using this to fundraise themselves. Yeah, everyone wins. Everyone <laughs> wins, apparently. <laughs> but, you know, you've seen Greg Abbott's fundraising arm send out a ton of emails. Sure. Yeah. The race is closed. We're in single digits. We're tied. They're opening offices. So at the end of the day, it seems like both are going to get either a headline or a fundraising pitch out of it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I think in the, in one of the other kind of 
ancillary questions out of this, too, is um, in terms of what the Democrats do here in this state. I think it's just a big question of are they going to do like kind of what they did in Georgia and Arizona, where they did just enough to kind of attract the attention of the Trump campaign, which then sent Trump to Georgia and Arizona or sent Pence to Georgia and Arizona and at least kind of take them off the trail for a few Mm -hmm. days, kind of knock them off balance. I imagine the Trump campaign is going to... Democrats are going to have to do a lot in Texas to really alarm the Trump campaign to get them to spend serious time or, or money here. Um, but oh, I he think, has been spending a lot of time here, right? <laughs> true. That is Wasn't true. Wasn't one yeah. of his posts, one yeah. of his first general election appearances here in Texas? It was. Yeah, it was. He did uh, a few rallies here in Texas and in addition to fundraisers. And it was unusual, right, for a presidential? Yeah, it is unusual. I mean, at this point, you know, like I said, four or five events, I guess it is kind of becoming usual for him to come here every <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> I mean, like, right. it's not, like, too surprising. Um, but, yeah, all these trips to the main uh, purpose has been fundraising but he's tacked on a few events as Ian said it, it's I think it's more geared uh, less strategy than just to his need for constant media attention right. that's how the campaign has run since day one um, but still just if you look at just the bare facts it's interesting to see him holding public events in Texas well at least Donald Trump Jr. will get another arena photo out of it to tweet <laughs> exactly. and say they were in Florida <laughs> didn't Mark Cuban respond to that and he's like that's actually my that's my actually arena. us Clinton surrogate uh, Mark <laughs> Cuban responded to it um <laughs> Uh, so, so speaking of polls, we have a fresh uh, wave of poll results out this morning from Texas Lyceum. Um, sorry for a little shaky here. They literally just came out about a half hour before we, we came into this. Um, this is the first of, of two rounds of results they're releasing. Uh, on Thursday, they're releasing the presidential numbers, so we'll have to wait for that. But today they released some uh, policy numbers and just a few things that stood out to me. I don't know if you guys had a time to look at them. Let me know if anything else stood out to you. Um, you know, Speaking of the presidential race, they found that a majority of Texans, 59%, oppose uh, Donald Trump's proposal to build a wall along the border. Um, they found that Texas adults are inclined to think that transgender students should use the public school facilities that match their birth gender. That was 54%. And they also found that, and this is the debate that we have you know, here in Austin uh, in recent months, Texas, uh, Texans believe that ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft should be regulated like taxis, and by a slim margin that this regulation should take place at the local level, not in the Texas legislature. So those are the wall, bathroom issue, uh, ride-sharing uh, services. Those are all politically touchy issues. Could come up uh, with policymakers uh, in Austin uh, next year. What do you think this says about uh, where those individual debates are headed? Uh, Did they surprise you at all hearing those numbers, confirm anything that you suspected already? I don't know that they're they're all that surprising. I I think maybe the the opposition to Donald Trump's wall is probably the one that stood out the most to me. But I wonder how much of that is based on the fact that they're already – portions of the border in Texas that do have a wall or a fence is sure. what some folks call it. Yeah. And there are some concerns about this, particularly in the in the Rio Grande Valley where folks are sort of, their properties are cut in half mm-hmm. by this fence and they're sort of dealing with all of that. So I wonder how much of that played into it. But I think in terms of transgen- opposition to transgender individuals using the bathroom that matches their gender identity, I'm not too surprised about that. I, I think it's sort of where we're seeing public opinion, both sure. in the legislature and in general, that's driven by some of that political mm-hmm. back and forth. Do so you see a number like that? And do you think that Dan Patrick, who's been a loud advocate on this issue, he's in step with public opinion? I mean, it's 54 percent. I mean, I think he'll use it to yeah. his advantage. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. for sure. An overwhelming but majority. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look at yeah. the, the details, but I, I did notice that they they did note that there was a, a partisan and age divide there. So I, I think that some of those more specifics would be interesting. OK. The one that really surprised me was ride hailing. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I don't know what that says. I don't. Frankly, I don't really read all that much into yeah. it. But um, <laughs> uh, and 
anyway, but it's uh, it's certainly going to give legislators fodder when they take up the issue. Yeah, at, exactly. At the Capitol. Well, it goes back to this, like, what is local mm. control, right? There's, and we've seen sort of this. <laughs> it's a very deep question. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've seen Keep sort of this pull and pull, push and pull with the legislature where Republicans say this should be states, this should be local control. And then when local when locals in the cities actually try to pass things, then the state says that they might intervene to make something, to regulate something statewide. So I don't know. I guess all of this to me is just fodder for politicians when they get to the Capitol in Did January. Did you read Matt Rinaldi's column, or at least the headline? <laughs> Liberty Trump's local control. This is true. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. I mean, that'll play right into local control debate that we've been having for right. the past however many right. sessions. I mean, I, when he, what stood out to you in those numbers? Anything? I still am curious about how, you know, you know, on the on the transgender question, just how many people are still kind of still uh, understanding the issue of what's at, at what's sure. the debate here. I think that's still mm -hmm. kind of something yeah, that a lot of people are still true. kind of understanding. So that's kind of my question in hearing those numbers. The number on the border wall did seem high to me, uh, although, I, I, again, I wonder how many people like Alexa was pointing to was talking about actually, who actually knows what's actually on the border right yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we move on to our next topic, I just want to remind our followers on uh, Facebook that you can ask questions at any time. Um, we got a few questions here while we were talking about 2016. Um, someone asked us if Texas is in play for Secretary Clinton. I think we uh, addressed that. <laughs> uh, and we probably will yeah. in the next 10 trip casts. <laughs> right. Evan loves uh, to talk about exactly. that one. Uh, we got a question from uh, Margaret. She said, will Clinton have an office in San Antonio and Dallas? Um, Margaret, uh, right now it looks like the only office that they've announced or that is public is the uh, Clinton DNC office in Houston. Um, I believe, though, in San Antonio and Dallas, there are, are already brick-and-mortar offices or physical locations you can go to to effectively volunteer and get involved in the campaign. They're not offices that are necessarily um, you know, affiliated with the campaign, run by the campaign, but yeah. they're places you can go to get involved. And if we, given that we talked about sort of their focus on down ballot mm -hmm. races, wouldn't it make sense to have exactly? Oh, yeah. exactly. I mean, I'm sure that's that's where they're probably going next or whatnot. Yeah. And right. I guess too, this question I don't want to dwell on too long, but it speaks to, speaks to the fact that even before the Clinton DNC forces came here and opened up these official offices, there already were dozens of kind of pro Clinton volunteer efforts going on in Texas. Different groups, some of them decided to open up their own offices. I know there were a few false alarms a few weeks ago when one of them opened up their own office is on their own volition, mm -hmm. and it was like, oh my God, the Clinton campaign's opening an office, but it was a volunteer group. Um, and so there's already been a very vivid, robust, you know, volunteer scene here in Texas, if you want to call it that. So um, thank you for the question, uh, Margaret. And again, feel free to ask us questions anytime. We'll try to get to them. Um, okay, so we talked a lot about issues that could come up in the next uh, legislative session. Someone who was talking about that yesterday in Dallas was House Speaker uh, Joe Strauss. He delivered a speech um, at the Dallas Regional Chamber where he talked a lot about his priorities, at least uh, for the next session. Nothing too controversial from my perspective. It was kind of a very Joe Straussian uh, speech <laughs> yeah. in style and in substance. Um, but he brought up, you know, I think his main priority he talked about was reforming the state's uh, child welfare system. And then from there, working on mental health, school finance, property taxes, economic uh, development. Um, as I rattle off these, these issues, <laughs> anything standing out to you that could be controversial or that could cause any kind of uh, drama at the Capitol uh, in, in January and beyond? Controversial, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I do think that there is momentum for the main thing he was talking yeah. about, is from what it seemed like from his uh, address yesterday, uh, you know, just child's uh, protective services. I mean, I mean, this is no surprise. I mean, there's a federal judge who basically said that the system yeah. was broken. And this is not, this is kind of a broken record, too. This is nothing, not a new issue. Mm -hmm. And it's, but it's certainly one that, you know, 
I could probably speak to it more than I can, but it's just one that keeps popping up. But this, there's been more attention on. It. I do think there's going to be a lot of momentum yeah. for that. That that really stands out. Yeah, I was going to ask Edgar. I know you've been following this issue a little more closely than the rest of us. What do you see as far as CPS, uh, foster care system? How do you see that animating the? Uh uh, legislative session. I mean, his remarks seem to be very much in line with uh, what the DFPS, what the agency commissioner said right about the same time, sort of put out this press release saying our focus is on prevention, early child intervention, kind of. Sure. We want kids happier, healthier, and safer before the state ever has to get involved. Um, that's also incredibly difficult to do. So, I mean, it'll be, you know, I don't hear a lot of, like, specifics. I hear a lot of, um, yeah, certainly, like, momentum and focus on the agency, um, and it'll be something to, I think, reflect on after the session and see what actually Mm -hmm. got done. Um, The the Child Welfare Agency, DFPS, uh, just put out their budget request. It's actually Mm -hmm. less money than they asked for oh, two really? years ago. Yeah, just barely. I mean, it's about the same, but it's still a decrease from $3.6 billion down On to top of what state billion. leaders are already asking them to cut back by? So um, most of Health and uh, Human Services is actually exempt from right, those cuts. Right. Yeah. So in that case, they're unique. It's like, look, we're we're sparing them of we're, budget we're cuts, and, we're still and, and therefore kind of, okay. we're prioritizing them. That's good. I can respect that. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see about like an investment. I don't know. I think there are still a lot of unanswered questions, but definitely signaling uh-huh. that's his priority. Yeah. I, I think when any time that that the Speaker Strauss sort of goes off in his very Straussian manner, like you yeah. said, I always wonder how much of that, if we'll see sort of the back and forth opposition between the House and the Senate oh, that yeah. we saw but, last <laughs> session. Yeah, at this, at this, just to jump in for one one second, yeah. at the Chamber of Commerce luncheon at the end, they announced you know upcoming events, and next week Dan Patrick is going to speak, <laughs> and so <laughs> all the reporters turned to each other and were like, I wonder how different that's going to be. Yeah, <laughs> you know? get the flip side of everything. You know, he's, he, they said he's going to preview the legislative session too. So yeah, so uh, I think I. I mean, I, I think sort of that that contrast, it'll be mm-hmm. that game of contrast between the two will be Absolutely. interesting. And I think we sort of saw a lot of that last session, both in actually when they were dealing with policy issues, but even when like the Senate would send over bills and there was a lot of booing. And so I don't know, I, it's it seems like a lot of child's play sometimes. But I think at the end of the day, it'll be interesting to see whether they actually compete for priorities and especially sure. when it comes to adding money yeah. to different agencies. His comments about public education to me were actually, I think, the most interesting, mm-hmm. his quotes. I don't know if you guys had this reading um, but he seemed almost disappointed that the Supreme Court hadn't um, yeah. ruled yeah. against the school finances. Yeah, system. and just to review, I think what he said in this speech, I don't know the exact quote, but it was, you know, the the Supreme Court of Texas ruling on school finance is not a license to do nothing. He said, right. you know, we, this is not like we should not be complacent with this ruling. There's still um, a lot of things to fix. Yeah, you're right. And again, he didn't get into specifics from what, from what I could tell sure. about what he w- was looking to do. But just the fact that he's acknowledging it and saying... You know, even though this ruling it doesn't compel us to change anything, that the fact that we're going to address it, it's going to be interesting, yeah. too, because there's a lot of public education policy issues, not just funding that'll be coming up too. They're going to have to go back after tests as well. Yeah, um, so. yeah. I was listening to the Strauss speech, and I think I thought, you know, what would Patrick say in this venue? What would Abbott say in this venue? I don't know how much, you know, we know Abbott, obviously, everyone's on the same page about child welfare, reforming the system and everything. Um, One thing that Joe Strauss didn't mention or did not prominently mention, at least to my ear, was border security, which that Mm -hmm. seems like a perennial issue. We've already seen some uh, noise about that. Um, Could that be a potential uh, wedge between the chambers? 
I mean, I don't know. I think we, we saw some of that tension last session, but they were able to come up with this like really big package for border mm-hmm, security. Yeah. And I wonder if Strauss will use that. That's true. Yeah. As sort you of cover say, for not prioritizing, time. especially when there are so many other sort of more social and child welfare issues mm. that they're trying to deal yeah. with. I, I feel like child welfare and, and public ed will give him a little bit of cover if he doesn't want to prioritize border security the way they did last session. Yeah. Don't you also need to wait and know who's going to be the next president? I mean, it sure. kind of seems like why yeah. why promise like we're going to spend money on fixing the border when you could conceivably have a there yeah. might you know, be a wall. 40 foot high wall. Very true. <laughs> there yeah. might be a wall. No more need for DPS. <laughs> and 54% of Texans will oppose it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Strauss did mention, one last point on Strauss, he did mention uh, the presidential race at the end, alluded to it. Then afterward, reporters pressed him on it a little bit. He's still not really saying anything about whether he supports Donald Trump. He has this role with the Republican Legislative Campaign Committee where he's uh, says he's focused on down-ballot races. Um, but it's, Everyone's it's, focused on down-ballot <laughs> yeah. races. It's been fascinating. i got to give it to Strauss, though. He's been able to evade this question oh, or not, not get pinned down on it uh, in, in a way that no other uh, statewide uh, official or elect, elected leader that I've seen has been able to. So kudos to yeah. Joe Strauss. <laughs> we may make it to election day without really knowing where we stand for Donald Trump. Um, so that's where we're at right now. Um, before we move on to our next topic, again, reminding our uh, followers on Facebook, you can uh, send us a question. We'll try our best to answer it. Um, last topic today is higher education. I know um, Matt, Matthew Watkins couldn't be here to talk about it. Um, Ian's kind of filling in for him. A uh, lot of stories out there right now from, from Matthew and others, but uh, the one story that always gets the most eyeballs are these college rankings from U.S. News and yeah. World Report. Boy, I mean, it's still people are still <laughs> sharing this story and reading it. I mean, the U.S. News and World Report, uh, their highly anticipated college rankings came out. And there was some movement. There was some shifting. Uh, you know, Rice is perennially the top uh, Texas university uh, in the standings, and that's not, no different this year. They think they were ranked around 15th or 18th. I can't remember the exact number. But what was interesting is that SMU actually moved up and is tied with UT Austin uh, for 56th now. I mean, UT dropped a little bit, and SMU climbed up. And then um, A&M uh, dropped down a little bit. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's kind of interesting to see that just the – marks in the standings. You know, uh, Abbott, uh, the governor, wanted to, you know, has declared that he wants to make, you know, Texas schools among the top 10 public schools uh, in the country, universities, and they're not close to that it's yet. Not looking real good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there's, it was, I don't think he was expecting that to come out in this report, but sure. uh, yeah. It's a long-term just, project. It's just a long-term project. Does any of the, this matter, though? I mean, do these rankings really matter to anyone other than those who filled all of the administrative offices at these universities. Right now, it matters to SMU and you know to <laughs> Baylor, so. which moved up too. That. But you know, uh, as, as a Northwestern alum, I, I say rankings matter. <laughs> okay, Northwestern. As somebody who compiles NW. a list of <laughs> whoa, whoa, <laughs> it's NU. <laughs> I'm just like, why don't people care about the list that I compile? I rank yeah. like all sorts of things. Like I write about uninsured yeah. people all the time, and no one cares about that. Yeah. Top five lunches Four downtown. Top exactly. Yeah. I know we should do that. I'm passionate about Certainly. that. Top five Alamo draft houses. Are yeah. there five Alamo draft houses? I think so. In Austin, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Slaughter Lane downtown, uh, <laughs> South Lamar. Um, There's one in Richardson now, so okay. you know. Just, All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the list. Yeah, I mean oh it's, it's really just. There's one in Richardson. I, yeah, <laughs> Alamo Draft House is over. There's one in, there's one in Laredo, you all. It's not great. I'm, I'm there very. Alamo upset. Draft House is outside of there's Texas. There's one aren't there? in. I think there's one in New York. It's like I saw one in Kansas City recently. Like, I just yeah, think I, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. not happy that there's one in Laredo. I'm just <laughs> not happy. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's going to be like but... torchies in St. Louis next. <laughs> well, this took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, I mean, I think there's so much attention on college rankings, and, and I guess I understand why that matters to people, but Texas may not be at the top of college rankings, but we're at the top of some pretty bad bliss and, and no. <laughs> wow, well. Can we go that back to like talking about Alamo Draft House? That seemed like that was going to be an optimistic <laughs> statement. No, it wasn't. Do you realize what I write about? Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to see the attention that we, that sort of college rankings get versus rankings of uninsured and poor people and all sorts of non-fun things like that. Sure, sure. And one of... down yeah. the trip down, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Rankings are the best. I know one other higher education issue that we had this week was the Hazelwood uh, hearing. What right. happened there and, and what, what did we So learn? this is kind of, you know, I don't know what round of this is in the de- debate over yeah. Hazelwood, which is basically in 2009, the legislature passed this law which allows um, legacy uh, students or children of veterans to benefit from the Hazelwood uh, tuition program, which provides tuition benefits uh, free tuition. And so since 2009, when it passed, you know, costs related to that expansion of the program have skyrocketed and universities have been crying uh about uh you know this you know raising the alarm about uh prices and costs and that they can't afford this the program the way it is and so you know there was a there was a movement in the last session to try to uh rein in the costs and that didn't uh, happen but now they're you know there was a debate a committee hearing this week uh about the same thing and just kind of again you know the debate kind of turned into more about looking forward about whether we can afford this program rather than necessarily what we can do right now. Mm-hmm. So the reason costs have skyrocketed is because people are taking advantage of the program. It's just right. that people are signing up for a benefit that they can get. Isn't so it like 21 times how, more than what they 20 expected? times yeah. more than yeah. what they expected. But how can your expectations ever have been that low in the first place? That's my question. It's like you're offering free tuition to children and veterans, and you think that these children, these college students aren't going to take advantage of it? Like, how can anybody at this point say, like, wow, this is much higher than I expected? Yeah, I was really surprised at the hearing. And, uh, one, you know, one of the main authors of the legislation was uh, Senator, now former Senator Leticia Vandepute. And she was basically talking about what they were what they were thinking, and they just did not anticipate the growth. I mean, I, it seems surprising to me, uh, but uh, they did just they, didn't. You know. But did they really not anticipate? I mean, I just find that so hard to believe. It's mm-hmm. like... I, I mean, it sort of seems like at, you know you can write a you can write a law that um, is going to win you points. It's going to be very popular among a certain you know. Yeah. It's like it sounds great. Like we're you know we are providing benefits to veterans. Um, I wonder were those expectations ever realistic to begin with? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, and and also it's it seems like it's not the sort of thing that's just on the person proposing it, but everyone who gets on board to pass it. I mean, they all wanted to have low cost, so yeah, they all want a small fiscal no. And so I wonder if at the time no one really questioned. Yeah, it's like, it's like practicing self delusion, no right? In order to get this through. I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of really interesting to see. Like, you have this, like, entitlement program that's very – well, I don't know if it's really considered an entitlement. Maybe it's considered – I think by definition it's entitlement. I don't know. You have a program that's extending benefits to people. Someone will fact check us. Like, yeah, hour. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Angry email. So, so, <laughs> cutting those is always incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. Because they're popular. I mean, it's I mean, just yeah, interesting this is, to see. This is, and, and then even though they've come up with some potential, like, qualifiers on this, you have to have, you know, serves, you know – Certain certain parameters that they're trying to throw around, but then you have you know 
people like former rep uh, Joe Farias, uh, Diego Bernal, who are basically saying, you know, this is a quality benefit that does not need to be messed with. And sure. so mm-hmm. it's just it's hard to see kind of and it's going to come up during the right. session. And but. notice the geography of it, too. You see right. a lot San of San Antonio. Antonio. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to bring it back to Dancing with the Stars and Rick Perry. Um, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> well, well, I thought, you know, Joe Fetty's quote and something he said during during that hearing was, you know, we've got a former governor dancing for vets on TV right now. By God, let's dance for them here. Um, <laughs> which I oh, thought, Perry becomes instant political fodder. <laughs> Poor guy can't go on a dance show and it's like, he is on team dance for our bets. So, but no, I think, (laughs) but I think Representative Farias, you know, he was a big opponent of this last time and and was sort of instrumental in in knocking down what was a proposal to, I think, get rid of the Hazelwood program in completely. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was interesting to see him come back and and use that as a reference. Yeah, we've got just a couple minutes left. Uh, One thing I wanted to get to, though, because I know there's a lot of discussion about this, another education issue is this uh, Mexican-American studies textbook that the State Board of Education is considering right now. There was a hearing on it uh, yesterday. A lot of uh, opposition to this textbook, uh, critics say, that it's it's racist and potentially revisionist in its history. Um, this is one of those stories that like I learn about sometimes because I'm not in, in, intimately involved in it here at the Tribune, but I learn about from people outside Texas who email me <laughs> or call me or text me or whatever, and they're like, send me the national coverage, and they're like, hey, what's going on in Texas? And it seems like, the, it seems like another issue where it just it reflects uh, poorly, at least on, on the education, uh, the State Board of Education. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it all sort of boils down to a couple, I think it was two years ago when the State Board of Education passed Mexican-American studies as an elective but not a required course. Mm-hmm. And so now folks are saying that that's why there was only this one proposed textbook, which you know claims things like Chicano activists were out to ruin the West and um, that Mexican labor workers were lazier than mm-hmm. their European and American counterparts. And so... Part of the credit, you know, folks are saying this is racist. How are we going to have this in our in our schools? You know, people who want to offer this sort of course. And now the state board is saying, well, it's all it's lawmakers fault because they give us less oversight over this issue. And so, I mean, it's in the end, though, it's it's pretty it's pretty stunning to see a book like this being proposed and, and to think that it might be in classrooms. Uh, fo- I think folks have the opportunity to choose a different different instructional material, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know how that'll work at, at smaller school districts who don't sure. have the resources don't, don't have the to resources do that. For that. And isn't the book written by or published by a company tied to a former member of the State yeah, Board of Education? Yeah, by a former member. Yeah, yeah. yeah who a uh, sort of a far-right member of the State yeah. Board of Education. Cynthia Dunbar, I believe. Yeah, yeah who so. has said, you know, people are being slanderous and, and People sure. are misinterpreting what we said, and though I will point out that they went back and clarified, I think the the Mexican. And workers, they're still but... clarifying too some other parts because <laughs> um, I think ahead of their next meeting, they're supposed to have other parts of the text that they said they were going to clarify. Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I read the sentence. It said it didn't say <laughs> they were lazier than their Mexican or than their uh, European and American counterparts. They were thought to be lazier. Yeah. So it's like, ah, oh, okay, well. Well, they originally, I think the original <laughs> sentence was stereotypically they were lazy. Stereotypically, yeah. right, yeah. Right, Something right. like that. That was that, the best you know? like, comma <laughs> offset <laughs> phrase at the beginning of the sentence. All I got to do is change one word, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I think a final decision on that's coming at their November meeting, I read, in our story. I yeah, believe. it looks okay. like it. That's when they'll actually have a vote on, on the issue. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think you, you saw a lot of Hispanic lawmakers show up to this board mm-hmm. meeting yesterday and, and really sort of voice their opposition. And I think it was yeah. Senator Rodriguez who said, you know, I was one of those Chicano activists. We yeah. weren't out to ruin the West. Yeah. Um, so I think I, it's, just, it's, it's pretty stunning, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think that the—I don't really know the State Board of Education and the makeup of it, but it, it's pretty partisan as well. Um, yeah, I mean, but there actually were two Republicans yeah. on the board who spoke out against, yeah. you know, they were basically right. saying they have concerns. They're not, you know, they're not in position to to yeah. vote for the text. And, you know, going back to a point you were making earlier, it's just really interesting to me, like this kind of budding, uh, you know, conflict between the state board and legislators. I mean, the state board was, members were really pointing the finger, mm-hmm. saying that they don't have enough oversight. And they said if the legislators had actually, you know, made this more of a required statewide elective, that there would be more text to consider and that we wouldn't be just having this one text. More, more publishers would be interested. Though so. the state board could have done that as well. They did, but I think they said that the I think legislators may have kind of, uh, you know, restricted their power. Although I mm-hmm. think you're right, they probably technically could have. Yeah. But I think they are kind of like pointing some fingers here. Yeah. So. Well, I I this was in a previous story. It wasn't mentioned during yesterday's hearing, but there was at least one state board of education member who said something like, "Well, I'm Irish American, and I'm not pounding on the table for a course on my history." <laughs> so, um, I wonder how much of that we'll see come the vote. But apparently, there are some Republicans who can't yeah. seem to vote for it. Sure, so, we'll so. See. all right, we'll be looking forward to that meeting in November. I'm sure it'll be a topic of discussion then, as it is now. <laughs> Hopefully, as uh, long with Dancing with the Stars exactly. as well. Yes, <laughs> we'll Dancing with the still stars. be on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> I like devoting just five minutes at the beginning to just a, a quick rundown of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think it needs to be a regular thing, along with the mimosas we were promised and yeah. weren't delivered. That's true. That's true. Facebook can see that now. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. Um, that's all the time we have for today. If you have any questions or comments, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Ian, Alexa, Edgar, and our producers Todd and Bobby, this is Patrick. Thank you for listening. Texas talking. Second string trip cast. Yeah.